Carla, that uplifting music this morning. Very much a blessing. Thank you. Um, folks, we are in Luke chapter 12. If you'll turn there now, and we'll be picking up at verse 35. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve, and have them recline at the table, and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watcher, even the third, and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, folks, it is with great joy today that I can announce to you that the Lord's coming, the Lord's return is imminent. That's spelled I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. That means that the Lord's return is, is sure, it is fast approaching, could occur at any given moment. Uh, one of the great doctrines of the Christian church has been the understanding, they, they've always understood that the coming of our Lord and Savior is imminent. It's called the doctrine of imminency. In fact, the last prayer that is found in the Bible uh, calls just for this. In Revelation chapter 22... Jesus' last words of reassurance to his church declare, Yes, I am coming quickly, to which the Apostle John responds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, right? And the imminent return of Christ, it's a very important doctrine that, that all Orthodox belief, it's always embraced through every age of the church. It has not mattered whether Christians were amillennial. That would be those who uh, believed or believe today that the church is in the millennium. St. Augustine, uh, John Calvin, Martin Luther were amillennial. Um, or, if you accept a premillennial return of Christ uh, and a rapture of the church, as do we, um, all true Christians have always accepted that Christ can return for us at any time. There also remains no human event that must occur before he can return. And even the first century church accepted this. They were watching for Jesus with great expectation of his return, that he would consummate and establish his kingdom. You probably remember the last time that the apostles gathered with Jesus before his ascension into heaven. And they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. To which Jesus replied, It is not for you to know. Times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses into Jerusalem, and to Judea, and to Samaria, and to even the outer remote parts of the earth, right? So, although Jesus implied there would be a, a period where the gospel would spread, would saturate even the outer reaches of the earth, 
Even he didn't know the day nor the hour of his own return. He insisted that we don't need to know. We don't need to know. We don't need to know a time. We don't even need to predict the circumstances or the exact circumstances before Jesus' return. And to, to attempt to predict the end of the earth or the timing of Christ's return, folks, it is a futile endeavor uh, in which many have failed over the centuries. We simply don't need to know. We simply don't need to know. Uh, in our scripture reading earlier, the Apostle Paul told the church in Thessalonica, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Oh, folks, for that reason, I just wish that pastors and, and authors who are attempting to predict and write books that will draw attention to predictions, I wish they would just quit speculating and stop writing about it. The Apostle Paul says, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Why? Paul insists there's only one thing that we need to know about the timing of the consummation of the age. He says, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That's what we need to know. That day will come like a thief. Boy, I'm so thankful that the Apostle Paul lines up with Jesus perfectly on this, right? They both say it will be like a thief. And the day of the Lord's return, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be completely unexpected. However, you and I are not going to be in the dark. We're not going to be caught off guard because we're going to be watching. Christians are going to be watching and we're going to keep our lamps lit, rejoicing when we see His return. Folks, the, uh, the unbelieving world, they, they really think this is a joke. Um, that Jesus, he was just another religious philosopher. He died like other philosophers. And, and really, they think that we're a bunch of kooks expecting his return, believing that he will come to rescue his church. They think it's kind of funny. Peter wrote about them. He said in 2 Peter 3, verse 3, In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was since the beginning of creation. That's what the mockers say. Where is that promise? Everything continues just as it always has. And Peter says, the church, says to the church what? In that very same passage, Peter writes, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a... Thief. A thief. So, so I'm so glad the Apostle Peter lines up with the Apostle Paul and they both join Jesus in declaring that the day of the Lord, the final return of Christ, will come like a thief. Like a thief. Uh, Jesus again so, uh, says that that day will be sudden and unexpected in Matthew chapter 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, 
And they did not understand until a flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. And Jesus warns, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. Do you all believe Peter, Paul, Jesus? If you're a Christian, you must. Um, That day will come like a thief. The world will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Unbelievers will be mocking. They'll be saying, where is the promise of His coming? You Christians are always talking about this coming. Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, they say, all just continues as it has since the beginning of creation. So obviously, the day of Christ's return, it's going to be an ordinary day. An ordinary day, much like today. Are you following me? So you and I don't need to be concerned, folks, about the earth being destroyed through a worldwide nuclear holocaust or war. Nope. Do I lie awake at night um, trembling at the notion of our ecosystem being destroyed and devastated by global warming? Nope. Do I fear burning fossil fuels? Because scientists, even though they aren't rational enough to understand that that oil did not come from fossils millions of years ago. Those scientists say the world is going to end. Am I fearing that? No, my Dodge gets about 10 miles per gallon. Folks, if the use of gas and oil, just hang with me a second. If the use of gas and oil could destroy the earth, we should probably be burning all that we can. Why? Because Jesus promises that He will come before we destroy the earth. He promises it. We are not going to destroy it. He promises that He will. Because Scripture promises that. Now now surely we need to be good stewards, alright? It's an exaggeration to make a point. It helps. Um, Those activists, they've fabricated this this fictional narrative that we're going to somehow destroy the planet somehow. They don't believe the Bible. They do not believe the Bible. They do not worship Jesus through whom all things have been created, the Christ who will return and consummate the ages. Instead, they've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals, Scripture says, crawling creatures. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship the creation, the creature rather than the creator. That is in Romans chapter 1. So to save the planet, to think somehow we're going to save the planet, it's a false religion, one that, that worships the creation or mother nature or whatever other thing they are esteeming. We're not going to benefit from those types of science, folks. Any, any type of uh, global extinction, um, any type of rising temperatures or floods or, or worldwide disaster. That doesn't mean there won't be wars. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. There always have been wars and rumors of wars. But we aren't going to have those types of signs. We aren't going to have those types of warnings that the world is ending. Uh, the day which Christ returns is going to have the appearance of just any other day. Of any other day. And it's going to come like a thief. 
No one's going to be expecting it. He's coming, so the passage warns us, be dressed in readiness. Be dressed in readiness. Um, How do we do that? How shall we be dressed in readiness? That's a question that's answered for us today in this passage. And and, and to begin with, Jesus gives us two illustrations that would have been very and vividly familiar to his audience in that day. One was girding the loins. The other one is keeping the lamps lit. Girding the loins, keeping the lamps lit. And and both reflect a state of preparedness, a readiness. Um, The first command in verse 35 is, be dressed in readiness, right? Um, The original language means actually to gird one's loins. Now, I know we don't really know today what in the world that means. That language doesn't exactly translate to our culture. The English Standard Version actually has a good translation which reads, stay dressed for readiness. Stay dressed for action. Um, If you're like me, when we were small children, you know, we were forced to dress up to go to church. Were you with me there? Had to put on your, show, your shoes, your you know, vinyl shoes or plastic shoes with the flat soles in the bottom. Couldn't get any traction on anything. Mud or snow, didn't have a chance. But, but as a little child, um, I always had to go to church dressed up. And, and those shoes couldn't get me any traction. So when hiking boots came into style, if you remember that, and, and some of those looked a little more dressy. Because sneakers in that day, all sneakers in that day were white, by the way. Or even if they were Converse blacks, they still had a white sole. But the hiking boots came in, and they almost looked like a dress shoe, but they had traction. So I would slip out of my house and, and put my hiking boots on and get into the car and get into church. Because after church, I wanted to be like, well, like Eli Yerkes. I wanted to be dressed ready for action, Right? You're going to run out that door and you're ready for action. I was always dressed in a state of readiness. And girding the loins was kind of like that. Being ready for action. I have an illustration for you here. Um, Oh, because men kind of wore something that looked like dresses back then. Um, To do any kind of work, to travel, um, go into battle especially, you had to gird up the part of the skirt that hung around the loins. That's on the top left, and it progresses to the right. And, and they would grab the, the fabric together in the front and, and pull it to the front of them and, and wrap it down between the legs, bring it around, and they would either tie it in the front or, or more commonly, I believe, stuff it into their belt. They would stuff it into their belt so that their legs could move freely. They were ready for action. Um... A soldier, for example, he girded his loins before going into battle. He didn't want to trip all over his clothing. So he remained in a state of readiness. Um, A similar posture of readiness was displayed through keeping the lamps lit. Today we don't really appreciate the significance of that, um, a lighted lamp, because we're afforded modern electricity. It allows your kids just to leave the lights on all the time. Especially the one in the fridge. Many of you know what I'm talking about. But during biblical times, you you didn't just flick a switch for lighting when the doorbell rang. Um, You didn't normally leave the lamps burning all night because somebody in that household had to work very hard to crush those seeds or the olives in order to get the oil that would burn in the lamp. And so you didn't just waste your oil. You didn't waste your lamp oil. Even when, when evening came... Uh, and you entered that state of relaxation, 
of rest, the lamps were extinguished until morning. And then in the morning, the sun came through the window and, and, and lit the room again. So being, uh, like being ungirded, extinguishing the lamps, it, it suggested a state of relaxation. Ungirding oneself, extinguishing the lamps, suggested a state of relaxation. So the commands that we have to be girded and to keep the lamps lit, they symbolize an alertness, a readiness for Christ's return. And in verse 36, Jesus emphasizes with, with another word picture, saying, Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. The traditional Near East wedding lasted some four to seven days, and the groom would return home for the first time with his bride, accompanied by his new bride, and and they would normally return after a night of celebration, but nobody knew what time the celebration would end. Uh, Servants of the house wouldn't know exactly what time their master was coming or what time the groom would return. But they knew he was coming, right? They knew he was coming, and it was their responsibility as his servants to immediately greet the groom when he came to the door with his bride in order to wait upon them. They were there to greet him so they, they could wait upon the groom and his bride. Folks, this parable has a notable twist. In, in verse 37, Jesus said, Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds, will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them, meaning the servants, recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. So by the Roman clock, the third watch ended in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. And until the groom comes, there's no period of relaxation, no time for relaxation. Instead, we are in a period of expectation. So our responsibility is, is that of readiness. And Christ's promise to his slaves that are, who are found ready, he will invite them to recline at his return. For those who obey and, and they expectantly wait upon him and they are ready, upon his return, he is going to wait on them. Folks, that is the kind of Savior that we worship epitomized, of course, by washing of the feet uh, the night of his betrayal. Our Lord is a servant. He said, you wait on me. You wait on me. And he goes, I'm going to wait on you. What a promise. The point is simply that, that now is not the time to relax. Now is not the time to relax for the church. There's going to be plenty of time for relaxation when he returns. Lots of relaxation and reclining when he comes so, the, the church now has been waiting, well, about some 2,000 years. And, and this has been one, it's been a very long, dark night. Would you agree with me? Um, we've been surrounded by a world, the church has been resound, uh, surrounded by a world 
utterly dark. Very dark. It's almost discouraging at times, the darkness that surrounds the church. But we, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 says, we're, we're not in darkness. We aren't in darkness that the day of our Lord would overtake us like a thief. Um, the Apostle Paul says that day will come like a thief. He says, but you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us remain sober and alert. It's been one of those really long and restless nights, folks, for the church, for the church. But we aren't overcome by darkness. If we gird ourselves in readiness and if we keep our lamps lit... That's our responsibility. And we know that the Word of God, it's a, a lamp until our feet, unto our feet and a light unto our path. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 19 assures that we have the prophetic word made more sure, correct? Uh, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. So, so it is the light of God's Word that keeps a house lit. It keeps the house of God lit until he returns. So a local house of worship, a local church, um, in a metaphorical sense, a house, um, if we allow that lamp to be snuffed out, or, or if we become lazy and, and we permit it to run out of oil, folks, we'll be left behind sitting in darkness. In darkness. We can't be diligent enough in keeping our lamp lit. Because the endless, there are just endless examples of every type of Christian organization. From, from local churches to parachurch ministries, even entire denominations that have allowed the lamp to go out. I could name a bunch of names, I'm not going to. But there are a bunch of organizations that have let the lamp of God's Word go out. And and, and they are in peril, folks. They are in peril. And the way that a lamp goes out, it isn't like a light switch, usually. Uh, An oil lamp, it it fades out. It fades out slowly. and, And as that keeper of the lamp relaxes not remaining vigilant to check the oil or trim the wick, and the light just keeps going dimmer and dimmer until there's only a little flicker. And then the room goes dark. That's what happens if we aren't diligent diligent to keep the lamps lit. Often a keeper of the lamp or that lamp goes out because the keeper just grows tired just goes tired of keeping it lit. It becomes so late. So late in the night. It's, it's the third watch. It's the third watch. And Jesus warns, that's when the thief comes. That is when the thief comes. And if the head of that house, if he had known what hour that thief was coming. Uh, he, he could have possibly forced himself to stay alert, to remain awake. But Jesus says we're not going to know the day nor the hour. 
whether it'll be on the second watch or now we're probably in the third watch as a church. Um, what does this mean for us at Port St. Lucie Bible Church? Folks, we better keep the coffee on because we're in for a long night. There's no way to know when he's coming. It could be in the next year. It might be 200 years. We do not know. But what we do know is we are to be ready and keep the lamps lit. Um, we, we mustn't rest. This, this is not the time for relaxation or to take our salvation for granted. We want to be ready when the groom comes. Um, as I said, there are, there are entire denominations who have been lulled to sleep lulled to sleep, they've let their light go out, they are in peril. And some look much like the slumbering church in Sardis. Are you familiar with that church? The slumbering church. And they had soiled their garments in the darkness that surrounded them. They relaxed. That's what happened, they relaxed. In Revelation chapter 3, we are told, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this, I know your deeds, and that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you the slumbering church it continues but you have a few people in sardis who have not soiled their garments and and they walk they will walk with me in white for they are worthy he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and i will not erase his name from the book of life and i will confess his name before my father and before angels he who has an ear let him hear are we listening? Are we listening? Folks, whenever the lamp goes out, the light of God's word, the church is lulled to sleep. Lulled to sleep. Spiritual deadness overwhelms the church when Christ uh, um, arrives and he discovers that people aren't ready. It's deadness. They aren't dressed. They don't have any lamps on. Instead, they just have their jammies. Sitting in their jammies, relaxed relaxed to the point they've mingled with the darkness and soiled themselves. So girded up for battle and lamps lit, Christians are to be in a constant state of readiness, always watching. John Calvin writes, God does not bestow the honorable title of his children on any but those who acknowledge that they are strangers on the earth and who, are, uh, and who not only are at all times prepared to leave it, but likewise move forward in an uninterrupted, excuse me, uninterrupted course towards the heavenly life. Again, as they are all surrounded on all sides by darkness, so long as they remain in the world, he furnishes them with lamps. Is your lamp lit? Are you ready? Because Jesus has revealed to us, over the last three weeks now, uh, what a person ready to depart this earth looks like. Verse 15, that person is not greedy. 
nor does he foster a life upon or focus his life upon possessions. Verse nineteen: He or she is not stored storehouse riches to the point that they can just relax. In verse twenty-two, he or she does not worry, but demonstrates trust in God by divesting self of the material world and giving to the poor. Uh, that is a person who is ready. Blessed is the one who is ready. For this reason, Jesus says, verse 40, You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Are you ready? You can ask me the same thing. John, are you ready? Better get ready. We better get ready. Um, the church in Sardis, they had been slumbering. In fact, Jesus describes it as a dead church, a, a spiritually dead church, usually characterized by at least two things. They've stopped observing and obeying God's word. Light isn't lit. They aren't focused on the day of Christ's return. They don't have an eager expectation and aren't looking forward to it. So Christ warns them to wake up. Wake up, I'm coming like a thief. And and for this reason, Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It is time to awake. And Christians have always embraced the imminent, imminent return of Christ. It's a doctrine that keeps us all ready because that day comes like a thief. And if you are a non-Christian today, or a nominal Christian today, like many in the church of Sardis, you will remain in peril. You will have missed the, the last opportunity that you had to place your trust in He who died for your sins and rose from the grave. You will have missed that. Uh, the offering for your sin and eternal salvation. That's why Scripture tells us, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation, folks. Not tomorrow. It's never tomorrow is the day of salvation. Today is the day to place your faith in Christ. If you're a Christian, like I hope most of us are here, if you are a Christian, that day will also come like a thief because there will be no further opportunities to serve. There will be no further opportunities to convert the earthly treasure into heavenly treasure nor store up eternal rewards through serving Christ in his body. It'd be like when you go into the airport and you're traveling from this nation like over to Europe. You're trying to get euros. You walk up and the window says closed. There ain't going to be any more chance to convert what we have here into treasure in heaven. That, that is the larger focus, by the way, of Luke chapter 12, as we've seen over the last three weeks. Uh, it is a warning. Certainly it's a war- warning to non-Christians. But we have seen this is a warning to Christians from Christ against storing up our treasure and leaving it behind. For us Christians, the day of the Lord will also come like a thief. Like a thief. Pastor Weiler reminded me last week as we were discussing again these things about heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. And he reminded me about when J.D. Rockefeller died. Uh, Still considered, by the way, uh, the most wealthy American ever, if you compute it for, for inflation. 
the most wealthy American still today to have ever lived. And uh, initially, his, his estate was quite mysterious. A lot of people didn't know his business. Um, nobody really knew how much he had when he died, uh, only that the sum was enormous, all right? And, and so the story goes that reporters kind of pinned down Rockefeller's accountant, and they pressured him, each wanting to be the first to break the big news, right? So they asked him, how much money did J.D. Rockefeller leave behind? The accountant replied, all of it. So the doctrine of imminence also helps Christians, we, to be more generous. You know, I, I once also, as we close, uh, read an author attempting to clarify the generosity of the early church that we studied last week in Acts chapter 4 looked at. Um, they sold homes, they sold tracts of land in order to care for the poorer saints. And, and his explanation kind of became his own attempt to dismiss their behavior as being erratic and uh, an errant understanding of Christ's return. He stated that the motive behind the early church was that they actually believed Jesus was going to return quickly, even during their own lifetime. And they were convinced his return was imminent. Uh, Consequently, in this man's own interpretation, their faulty understanding, as he called it, of Christ's return prompted them to divest of their possessions too soon as they determined they were not, uh, those possessions were not of immediate importance. (laughs) Because they had decided if Jesus returned today, they wanted to be ready. The point is that exactly. 2,000 years have passed, but their theological understanding was not faulty. It was not. Their doctrine actually was precisely on point. The doctrine of imminence prompted them to let go and to be ready just as it does every other age of the church in us today and each one of them effectively folks experienced the day of the Lord when they drew their last breath and departed this earth nobody knows what day that will be or when it will come but most assuredly it will come for most of us it will be at a time unexpected It could be today, a car accident, a heart attack. Any day could be the day. And that day of our departure, it will come like a thief. So this doctrine has properly prepared every Christian of every age. The Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect, so be ready. What a day that will be. Let's pray. Father... Oh, you've been so good just to show us our own hearts. Lord, even I look at my own heart and the attachments uh, that we can get to the world. Lord, uh, we've been blessed with much, much treasure here. Lord, uh, many comforts, and we're grateful. Yet, Lord, you've shown us to be mindful, to use discernment on uh, how much we need over this last uh, series of studies and how much uh, more uh, we would benefit of that which is used to glorify you. Lord, so you've taught us. Lord, you've taught us your will. Your will is for us to be generous. Uh, Lord, your will is that we would be, um, that we would be, uh, have our confidence in you, 
that we wouldn't have to worry. Lord, your will is that we can uh, come to terms with possessions and have a proper balance and a generous spirit, Lord. These are all your will, and you've shown us that in your word. So, Lord, uh, help us in your spirit. Help us to look like Christ. Thank you, Jesus. We look forward to your return. Oh, what a day that'll be. Amen.